Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of This Week in FCPA. This Week in FCPA is sponsored by Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional, independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 700 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance program, visit our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. In this, the Chosen One edition, we take up the business roundtable new statement on the purpose of a corporation. Mike Volkoff takes a deep dive into the California Consumer Privacy Act. Is Amazon liable for the Computer One hack? We consider, is the summertime the right time to close FCPA cases? You know, it's really bad when a British Virgin Island lawyer calls out the American Bar Association for opposing UBO regulations. Why on earth would you have to do that? I can't imagine. How about proactive assessments in healthcare ethics and compliance programs? We look at the trial judge rejecting the Alstom defendants, Lawrence Hoskins, Fifth and Sixth Amendment claim to toss the case. We consider how UK is going after funds obtained through bribery and corruption, and a monitor has finally been appointed in the MTS case. We consider the five episodes of Adventures in Compliance and the intersection of Sherlock Holmes and compliance programs, and also a few words about Converge 19. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist and the Voice of Compliance, back again with Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors, for this week in FCPA, episode 168, the week ending August 23, 2019, the Chosen One edition. And if you don't know what that refers to, you obviously live under a rock in Greenland. As Donald Trump announces he is the chosen one and looks heavenly skyward, the business roundtable stuns the corporate community with a new statement of purpose of corporations. Myself and Mr. Monitors are back to discuss some of the week's top compliance and ethics stories, which caught our collective eyes. So, Jay, a lot going on. You want to just jump into it? Yeah, this uh, announcement that came out from the Business Roundtable really just um, takes the whole uh, business, you know, being in there to deliver shareholder results, and it just changes all this. And basically, this was a purpose of cooperation signed by 181 CEOs saying that their companies are there for the benefit of all stakeholders, So not just shareholders who are one of the stakeholder groups, but customers, employees, suppliers, and the community where they live. So I think this is really just a stunning announcement. How do you take it, Tom? So I have to agree with you, Jay. Um, uh, We've linked to several articles in uh, in the show notes, and I blogged on this this week that we'll perhaps take up in a little more in depth. But um, so as you might guess, uh, there were both pros and cons on this. Um, a large, I would say the largest number of people were certainly pro, as you were, 
some of the critiques uh, were that, well, there's really no enforcement mechanism or, gosh, how are you going to support all of these other stakeholders if you're not chasing the almighty dollar? But uh, and and of course, well, uh, this is just a PR move to get out ahead from President Elizabeth Warren's wrath. Um, So I really thought uh, it was important not only for the specific reasons you said, Jay, but I just view this as an incremental step. Uh, And I view it in in many ways uh, similar to many of the incremental steps you and I have both experienced in the uh, anti-corruption world, in the uh, literally the worldwide fight against bribery and corruption. Uh, There's never been any sort of one announcement or one thing that led to the end of bribery and corruption. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any one thing or one announcement which leads to a um, more well-rounded, more um, multiple-stakeholder-facing corporation um, as well. All of the critiques, I think, have some valid points. There is no enforcement mechanism. This is a voluntary uh, statement. Uh, It does not have the force of law. Uh, It does not have a regulation behind it or a law behind it. Uh, It is clearly uh, a PR move by the Business Roundtable. Perhaps they want to get ahead of where they see the American people headed and the general population headed for the next election. Perhaps not. Uh, Perhaps uh, they are equally uh, like-minded in terms of their desire to do good as uh, the uh, vast majority of Americans are. Nevertheless, for whatever the reason, uh, I think this is is just a fabulous statement it incorporates many of the things that you and I and others in the compliance community have been advocating, although we advocated from a little bit different angle. So um, the uh, having customers, obviously, as uh, a part of your stakeholder would seem to be as basic a reason or uh, a purpose of a corporation. Uh, nevertheless, how you treat your customers, uh, do you treat them ethically? Uh, the same with employees. Do you simply just use employees as a number or do you, use, do you treat them as people? Uh, in this day and age, do you retrain them? Or do you just fire them and go hire a bunch of employees from another country at one-tenth the wage rate um, so that uh, you can just save some money? With uh, suppliers, are you uh, ethical and fair with your suppliers? And that's really leads to a two-way conversation, Jay, because then your suppliers have to be ethical back uh, to the corporation and not engage in any nefarious uh, activity on their behalf, Uh, creating long-term value for shareholders. Uh, That's really been the byword of Amazon Corporation, and uh, they do not live by the quarterly results, even though they've been a public company for quite some time. Uh, You and I both worked in public companies, and uh, in many ways you live or die by those quarterly results. What you predict the stock is going to do or what you predict your uh, revenue is going to be and whether you hit those numbers. So a longer-term growth, I think, uh, longer-term strategy is uh, a much uh, a better uh, growth strategy for both companies and their stakeholders. So uh, I really applaud this. I think from the compliance practitioner perspective, it is certainly things we've been talking about for quite some time. And frankly, things that we have or have wanted to put in place. So um, I really applaud this. I can't say enough good about it. It's not a be-all, end-all. It is a statement. 
by 188 or 182 separate corporations. Their CEO signed, uh, and I think it's going to be a great um, first step in moving towards this direction. Does that mean they're going to engage with Elizabeth Warren or not? I don't know the answer to that, but uh, I guess I'll end my little uh, uh, sojourn into this uh, issue, Jay, by just pointing to one of the sites we have uh, in our show notes, which was the Financial Times of London, their editorial board. Um, they applauded this for American corporations showing leadership literally to the world. And I don't think, Jay, we often think enough about not only the business leadership that this country pr- puts out and provides, but in many ways uh, doing business ethically, doing business the right way, uh, engaging with all of these stakeholder groups. And now we have American corporations, not American politicians, saying this is important to our business and our sustainability going forward. So I think it's a great first step. Uh, I hope that you know affiliated monitors can use this. I hope I can use this. I hope Everyone in the compliance community can use this because I think we uh, we can and we should. And, and I laid out some of the reasons in my blog post that uh, I linked to in our show notes. Yeah, I think there's um, we give a real rounded view in the different sources that we look at. We look at the uh, New York Times Steelbook, another New York Times article, the FT editorial board. So it's all out there. And I think what we're both saying, Tom, is it's um, it's definitely a refreshing point of view. But uh, as the uh, saying goes, the devil's going to be in the details. And as you said, there is no specific regulation or rule. There's nobody making sure this is going to happen. So this is going to be something that we're going to follow closely as we move forward. But I think based on the different things that we look at, looking at supply chain, looking at corporate social responsibility, I think this all comes together. And it's really a great time when we have... um, politicians who aren't leading and now this has created a vacuum i think for business uh entrepreneurs and business owners really to fill that void so i'm um, encouraged to see this happening next thing we have coming up is um a two-part series and a blog from our colleague mike volkoff this is from mike's website uh, from the volkoff law group And in the first article, he takes a look at the California Privacy Act, and uh, this is really going to become uh, law and important on January 1st, 2020, but the government will have another further six months until July 1st of 2020 to extend the deadline or issue any other implementing regulations. Uh, In the first piece, Mike takes a look at what needs to happen between now and uh, January 1st of 2020, he also looks at the def- uh, the fines and the penalties. Uh, the California Attorney General has broad enforcement authority under the CCPA. Um, the Attorney General is required to give businesses 30 days to cure a violation before an action can be brought. And if the violation is not cured, the AG may seek an injunction and civil penalty of no more than $2,500 for each violation, or $7,500 for each intentional violation. And the next part, which is called Key Actions to Ensure Compliance with California Consumer Privacy Act, the CCPA, Uh, Mike looks at the different things that you need to do as a business owner. The first thing to do is locate your data, map it simply, and figure out where all the personal identifiable information is in case it's requested. Consumers have the right 
to uh, request their information, and companies have to make this available by two designated methods, which is either a toll-free phone number or a website address. Uh, consumers have the uh, right to ask for deletion of their information, and consumers have the right to opt out. And in my favorite part, uh, Mike takes uh, a look back at something that we probably remember from when we were younger, when the ice cream chuck rolls up and you hear that familiar music, and there's a new flavor, and you have it for five or six times, and then you get bored with that flavor. Uh, he talks about the um, inner workings that are going to happen now within the sweet C-suite when you have a chief compliance officer, and they may have to initially defer to the chief uh, privacy officer to learn more of the, uh, the rules and the regulation of the CCPA, but once that happens and uh, the rest of the C-suite gets familiar with dealing with these from a legal perspective and other perspectives, then I think there can be a very balanced role. But right now at the beginning, Mike thinks that the chief privacy officer might be uh, leading the discussion, but at some point he uh, sees them uh, neutralizing and both contributing. Any thoughts uh, on your behalf, Tom? I've talked to a lot of people about uh, this issue, the CCPA, data privacy, data protection in the United States. And it really, uh, the conversation comes down to two basic uh, camps. One is they desperately want Congress to step in and do something. Uh, they are frustrated by this Congress's inability to do anything, uh, and most particularly around data privacy, data protection, because it's something that Americans desperately want uh, this is not to say we're going to – they want GDPR, but they want something. And this Congress can't seem to uh, uh, spell GDPR. So there's a huge frustration uh, around uh, the political leadership just completely abandoning uh, its constituency, i.e. us, to do anything about this. Um, the second is uh, – kind of camp or discussion is that because the um, – National political leadership has completely abandoned their role in uh, doing anything. States have stepped in. Obviously, you're in California. California has stepped in. Several other states have stepped in. And each state has crafted a uh, privacy-slash-protection law, which is a little bit different uh, to the needs of its citizens, of its states. The bottom line is we may have 50 separate privacy laws uh, in short order, and uh, that is going to be just an administrative nightmare now. You for for U.S. companies now you can um, just decide you're going to be GDPR compliant, and that's the gold standard literally across the world. And you can take those steps, and some companies have done so. Um, I heard a presentation by the uh, chief privacy officer at uh, Google uh, in Paris earlier this summer, and uh, they uh, moved towards that, complying with that because they have to in Europe. So you can put in a um, program which would meet uh, 50 different sets of standards. But even if you put that in place, how are you going to track that you've met them? Or to use the famous maxim, document, document, document. Uh, you've got to document to each state. And uh, then make sure that whatever, uh, if, if you have differences between states and you try to uh, – blend those differences into your program, that you are 
putting the right standards on the right person who lives in the right place, which may be different from where you delivered the solution or sent the data or stored the data or collected the data. So just an administrative nightmare because of potentially 50 different standards. And once again, Congress's absolute failure to step in and do something here uh, about the only thing the, this administration has done is criticize uh, Europe for having GDPR through uh, the Secretary of Commerce, Wilbur Ross, uh, saying it's a, a job killer. Well, um, I think the American people are uh, tired of hearing that sort of nonsense and that we, we, we want to have some data privacy, data protection, um, and right now we have none. So uh, California right now is leading the U.S. They're leading the conversation. Uh, they've stepped into the vacuum and done something. Uh, if you are a corporation with uh, customers, clients, business operations in California, you better uh, start getting ready because it's coming and it's coming quick. So, uh, Tom, uh, next up we have a story uh, from John Reed Stark. It's a guest post in the DNO Diary. And uh, why don't you tell us whether or not Amazon is liable for the Capital One hack? This is really interesting. Uh, John Reed Stark uh, is a pretty well-known commentator in the data privacy or, or rather data protection world. And he really goes after Amazon's web services uh, they were the web service for Capital One. He criticizes the commercial relationship. He criticizes the contract. He criticizes Capital One. He criticizes uh, Amazon Web Services. Uh, and really just uh, I was trying to figure out why he uh, really went after them so vehemently, but he really did. He wants to see um, – to, for Amazon Web Services to do more than to deny that they were responsible for this. Certainly seems to me Capital One has accepted responsibility, but he's not satisfied with that. He wants a, uh, a full internal investigation by competent outside counsel um, done uh, around the breach and that uh, if Amazon Web Services uh, is culpable in this, that they not only fix the problem, but uh, they would uh, potentially be liable going forward. Uh, it could be that uh, Capital One's uh, vulnerability, firewall vulnerability, was the only uh, uh, matter exploited, and there it could have been more of a compliance issue. Um, and he, he thinks we need to have a little bit more uh, thorough investigation by truly independent uh, outside counsel. So I think this is one we're going to be watching going forward, Jay. So the next article we have is a little bit lighter. It comes to us from Harry Casson from the FCPA blog. And Harry wonders, what are the best months to open and close the FCPA investigations? Harry took a look at a 32-year, a 32-month period starting in January 1st, 2017 from now. Uh, up until now, and 55 FCPA-related investigations have been closed. The most popular month was May when nine were closed, and then September were closed uh, eight deals, or rather eight um, matters. So it appears that uh, summertime is the right time, and uh, basically uh, the most common month to first disclose an FCPA investigation is February, followed by April and March. So... Uh, 
I think this uh, goes up to one of those kind of dog day of summer articles, but it's, uh, it's good to know. And uh, as, as always, Harry provides us an information, uh, interesting information, and we link to it um, in the show notes. Uh, next up, Tom, uh, you know it's bad with BVI when the lawyer calls out the ABA for opposing a UBO regulation. What are all those acronyms mean? So BVI is the British Virgin Islands. And for anyone who's uh, reads the FCPA blog, perhaps uh, the Global Anti-Corruption blog, uh, Martin Kenney is a well-known commentator. He's a BVI lawyer who continually and vociferously defends the British Virgin Islands, saying that it's not us, it's you who uh, are really to fault for uh, all of the uh, nefarious money laundering issues going around. But in this case, he had a great post and a spot on where he just lambasted the American Bar Association for resisting uh, proposed legislation that would prevent money laundering and a host of other crimes in the United States. He um, uh, lambasted uh, the ABA for its uh, reluctance to um, engage with the notion of enhanced regulatory protocols for corporations, uh, the ABA's claim that disclosing the details of an unidentified, uh, excuse me, unidentified beneficial owner, that's the UBO, will impinge on a client's privacy is just horse hockey. Uh, you're opening a corporation, you, sh- you should, should tell the state regulators who the owners of that corporation are. Uh, I don't think there's really any argument. I don't. Let me just rephrase that. There's no argument that uh, justifies that in this uh, modern day and age. And uh, Matthew Stevenson over on the Global Anti-Corruption blog and Rick Mezik have both lambasted the ABA for its position. But here we've got, you know, literally a lawyer from the British Virgin Islands, and he's not saying we should call a spade a spade. He's saying, look, your largest legal bar organization is patently against legislation to help prevent money laundering. You lawyers in America better wake up and smell the roses. So next up, uh, I have an article this week uh, continuing my series with Corporate Compliant Insights. And this week, I take a look at how monitors work with the healthcare sector. Uh, Not every healthcare organization has a good handle on how effective their compliance program is and whether the culture of the organization is such that compliance risks are likely to be promptly identified. However, an independent compliance expert can bring a fresh set of eyes to any organization or entity. Such an expert can provide several valuable inputs to any organization, including demonstrating to the board an organization's ethical culture and effective compliance. Educating an an organization's workforce and sending a strong positive message throughout the entire organization confirms that the company takes compliance seriously and expects the workforce to take it as well. A proactive assessment can be used when an organization has a reason to believe that they may have an ethics or compliance problem. This may encompass a situation where there is a change in leadership and the new team wants to drill down to see more precisely where the company may lie on ethics and compliance scale. One of the key differences in the healthcare sector is that the uh, commercial enterprise, uh, the government wants the commercial enterprise to stay in business, and sometimes 
there's more pain that can be uh, caused by closing down a healthcare provider than uh, allowing him to remain open. So from a public policy perspective, this means the government wants to have as many quality providers as possible so patients can receive adequate access to healthcare and services. Uh, next week in my article, I'm going to explore how monitors can be used in a licensing and disciplinary proceeding. So, Jay, Lawrence Hoskins, if you don't know that name, you should. And you should be aware that he is going to trial in uh, what's now become a pretty well-known FCPA case now in September. But in July, he tried to get his case thrown out under two constitutional claims that uh, the uh, prosecution had violated the Speedy Trial Act with unnecessary delays, and that was a Sixth Amendment claim, and he had a Fifth Amendment claim that because the delays had been so long, due process was violated. This is a really high burden or standard to bear to get a case thrown out uh, on these grounds, and not surprisingly, uh, the court (coughs) denied both of those motions. Uh, It did really point out, though, the length of time that uh, takes uh, place between when the event occurs, because we're talking about events as far back as 2002 to 2004. Hoskins was charged along with three other um, Alstom employees in uh, 2014, uh, one of which died, one of which pled guilty, and I can't remember the fourth one. Uh, I think he's waiting sentencing. So, um, but Mr. Hoskins is going to trial it's a narrow question of whether or not he was an agent for the U.S. corporation while working for the subsidiary. So it's going to be a pretty high burden for the uh, the uh, prosecution, but uh, they're moving forward. And it's certainly one we're going to watch with interest, Jay. Uh, next up, Tom, we have something coming to us from Jonathan Rush and his Dipping Through the Geometries blog. Uh, we take a look as the United Kingdom goes after funds that were obtained through bribery and corruption. Uh, On August 14th, the United Kingdom's National Crime Agency, NCA, announced that it obtained account freezing orders, AFOs, on eight bank accounts containing a total of more than £100 million. The NCA stated that the AFOs, which were obtained on August 12th, represent the largest amount of money frozen using the AFOs since they were introduced under the Criminal Finances Act of 2017. The order prohibits the respondent to the unexplained wealth order and other persons with an interest in the property from in any way dealing with the property. Uh, The court may also issue an order if the court considers it necessary to do so for purposes of avoiding risk of any recovery order. Uh, While the NCA release indicates that these AFOs represent the largest amount of money frozen during the APO process, They are evidently not the first AFOs the NCA has obtained. The NCA briefly mentioned that in 2019, there was a forfeiture order against £400,000 in a frozen bank account belonging to to a Moldovan national, and another forfeiture order was granted on money in an account belonging to the Syrian ruler Bashar Assad. So uh, we link to that in the show notes, and Tom... Uh, Next up, we have a story about MTS finally appointing a monitor, and this comes to us from Adam Dobrik at Global Investigations Review. Yes, Jay. uh, MTS, the Russian company that settled uh, earlier this year on a massive FCPA enforcement action, has agreed to uh, appoint Leonard McCarthy 
as the form, uh, a former integrity vice president as the World Bank as the monitor for the company uh, around its FCPA settlement. Uh, since 2017, he's run his own consulting firm in the uh, here in the United States. Uh, it's really interesting that uh, a smaller shop was uh, hired to be the monitor here. They were up; uh, he was up against some uh, fairly high high level uh, law firm Ropes and Gray and Skadden Arps were also um, in the running, or at least nominated by the company, as they had to nominate three. And the DOJ agreed to uh, the final selection. So, uh, frankly, I think this is going to be one of the most difficult monitorships around. Um, a company, a Russian-based company, obviously used to doing business very different than uh, under such laws as the FCPA. So it's going to be a pretty tough road to hoe. It's going to be in some pretty difficult places. I uh, don't envy him at all uh, for this monitorship, Jay. So this week, Tom, you continued with the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. What were some of the highlights you spoke about this week? So, yes, on uh, another week of podcast uh, on the intersection of Sherlock Holmes and compliance, I took a look at the three Garadebs and monitoring controls, the problem at Thor Bridge and monitoring controls uh, from a different perspective, the creeping man and risk management by your board, the lion's mane and risk-based monitoring, the Veiled Lodger and Empathy and Compliance. It's uh, They're all on my sites, the FCPA Compliance Report, the Compliance Podcast Network, iTunes, JD Super, Megaphone, YouTube, Spotify, and, of course, uh, on Corporate Compliance Insights as well. And, Jay, if we could do give another plug for Converge 19, the conversant event being held the first week in October. Um, you and I are both attending. Uh, we're both looking forward to it. Uh, we still have a great offer of a complimentary registration for listeners to the podcast. Uh, the code is FOXVIP. We've linked to that in the show notes. There's registration information. Uh, we are doing a special live Everything Compliance podcast, so I hope listeners of this podcast will come to Converge and check out our live podcast recording, Jay. So we look forward to uh, seeing you in Denver. Again, the dates are October 2nd and 3rd. Tom, I, I know I told you I was going to stop talking about my baseball team, but uh, any reports uh, that you can share us on the hometown Astros? Well, uh, you know, I think you have transferred your curse to the Astros. First of all, uh, Las Vegas installed them as a prohibitive favorite to win the World Series, and they promptly went on a four-game losing streak. Uh, last night... Uh, Justin Verlander was on the mound against his former team, the Detroit Tigers, one of the worst teams in baseball. And it was basically one to four. You had to put down $4. You had to put down $4.50 to win one. A minus 435 uh, at the uh, Caesars Palace in Las Vegas for the Astros. And what happened? Detroit won. So um, I think you've uh, done your reverse curse on us, but that's okay. Uh we're still uh, gunning for the playoffs and um, can't wait to bring it back home. Cool. So uh, I think that wraps it up. Uh, again, another busy week uh, in the worlds of ethics and compliance. Uh, we would like to thank you, uh, both myself, Jay Rose and Mr. Monitor, and Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, 
We'd like to thank you for joining us for This Week in FCPA, Episode 168, for the week ending August 23, 2019, The Chosen One Edition. Thanks for joining us and have a great weekend. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thanks again for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have any questions, you can email Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join Jay and I at Converge 19. Once again, you have an opportunity for a complimentary pass to the event by uh, checking out the show notes and using the code FOXVIP. We'd love to have you sit in for the live recording of Everything Components. I hope you'll join us again next week when Jay and I visit some of the top compliance and ethics stories which caught our collective eye. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.